Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning. Man went to the doctor. The doctor said, well, what seems to be the trouble? How can I help you today? And I said, Doc, it's awful. It's terrible. I've got the worst pain from head to foot. Everything hurts. And the doctor said, everything hurts? And the man said, everything hurts. The doctor said, that's really strange. It's an odd thing. He said, let's, uh, let, let's try some things and let's see if we can figure out what's going on. I want you to touch your forehead. The man goes, okay. Ow, good grief. Doc, it hurts. I told you it hurts. The doctor said, okay. Well, Try this. I want you to touch your neck. So the man touched his neck. Oh, it's killing me, Doc. You got to stop this. The doc said, hang on. I think we're getting somewhere. Try touching, try touching your elbow. And the man goes, ah, oh, oh, good grief. And the doc says, okay, one more. I think I figured it out. I want you to touch your knee. The man goes, oh, good grief, doctor. You got to stop. And the doctor said, you idiots. You have a dislocated finger, right? <laughs> I'll give you a minute. <laughs> See, sometimes there are, there are things, there are moments in our life where there's just one thing, but it seems to affect everything, right? There's just one thing, but it seems like it's hurting everywhere. There's just one thing, but somehow that one thing is ruining your entire life. You been there? Yeah? Bet it wouldn't take you long if I asked you to think about the last time you had one thing in front of you that was just overwhelming. That, that induced pain and anxiety, made you feel nervous. You saw it on the horizon and you're looking at the thing and you're going, I just can't. I, I just can't do it. Can you think of something like that? Probably hadn't been too long since you've experienced something like that. Maybe it was something big that you saw it coming a mile away and it was coming your way and the, just the dread of the anticipation of it was enough to paralyze you with fear. Maybe it was just in the basic stuff of everyday life that it got you. And it was a, a relationship, a conflict that you didn't see coming in a, with a family member or with a friend. Maybe it was having a difficult conversation. You knew you had to have the conversation. You didn't want to have the conversation, but you knew it had to happen. Maybe it was an injustice that you, someone has done against you or you've seen done against someone else. And you go, that's not right. Someone has to do something or say something about that. But you go, it can't be me. And it, that, that's really complicated. And I don't know that I can I can handle that. Maybe, maybe on the other hand, maybe it's good news. It's, it's the good news. You need to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. And that in and of itself just seems too much. It seems terrifying to you in some way. And, and there are these things in our lives that they, they, they cause us to have such anxiety. Sometimes we become paralyzed with fear. This one thing. Why do we do that? Why does that happen to all of us? It happens because I think we're constantly, from the moment we wake to the moment we go to sleep, we're constantly evaluating ourselves and we're making some kind of judgment about our own potential. I heard a counselor talk about this. We're always thinking about, am I up to the task? Can I do this thing? What is the worst thing that can happen to me in this situation, this event, or on this day? And how am I going to make it through this day till tomorrow? And I think there's a couple of things that work when we're constantly evaluating our potential. One thing, we're always looking at our past track record. How have I handled things in the past? Last time something happened to me, did I make it through? How did I make it through? How did I get through? How did I handle it? Did I do okay? And we're always measuring the size of the problem in front of us. 
And that's how we're always measuring our potential against these two things, our past track record and the size of the task or the problem in front of us. And this is the exact same thing that's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Old Testament. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is the story of Saul and of David and of Goliath, and, and probably one of the most well-known, famous stories in the entire Bible. If you've never cracked a Bible or entered a church building, you probably know something about Saul and David and Goliath. And I want you to see in this story how these things, uh, evaluating ourselves in the face of problems, in the face of life, how they work out in this story in the lives of, of two big figures and the people of God. So in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start with Saul and his army. Saul and his army had measured the size of a problem in front of them. Look at, at verse 2. 1 Samuel 17, verse 2. It says, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up a battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there's a valley between them. Then a champion, somebody say a champion... A champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And I don't know exactly how tall that is, and it's debated because it's not perfect science here, but six cubits and a span. Some people have said, and, and many people have argued for years, that that's something like nine foot six, but nine and a half, ten feet tall. So still going here, uh, still going here. Oh, it's going to collapse. There's, there's 10 feet. So I'm neither a tall man nor a short man. I'm just kind of average. That's what they say about me. And uh, that, that is terrifying. So at worst case, we're talking about a nine and a half, 10 foot tall man who weighs about 600 pounds, Goliath. Now, other people have argued, but this isn't exact science. I, I, that, that's just ridiculous to think of that. We think that he's only about six foot nine, something like that, and, and maybe 350 pounds, which, again, I want get to this, get this in order here. Six foot uh, nine inches tall is about right there. And if he was six foot nine, 350, he reminds me of a, 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 a power lifter named Hafthor Bjornsson. He looks like this. Uh, he set the deadlift record a couple of years ago, over 1,000 pounds, and was known as the strongest man in the world. And here's him playing on a popular TV show, splattered with blood and carrying a Goliath-like sword. So worst case scenario, we're talking about a 10 foot tall, 600 pound man. Best case scenario, that's what we're talking about which is absolutely terrifying when you, you look at him. Um, and we're going to remove him from the screen because it's terrifying you even now. So this is the champion of the Philistines. Verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and by the way, he also has a shield carrier who walks before him. So giant man and a guy who's carrying his, arm, his uh, shield for him. So Saul and his army gathered on the field of battle, look out, and they see this, this gigantic figure, Goliath, splattered with blood. That, I mean, that doesn't say that here, but we like to imagine it because of the picture. Standing across from them, he's a champion and they see him and measure the size of their problem. They, they took the time to write it out. This is how actual big this guy, this, how big this problem is. And I want to contrast that 
to how David sees the problems. Anybody know how old David was around this time? We can take some guesses. Close. Yeah, so you're, you're all, we're all in range here. In chapter 16, this is the story where Samuel comes to anoint the future king of Israel, and he goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings out all of his sons who would be candidates, who would be men who could stand up for a task. Samuel says, I want to see your sons, and Samuel goes one by one, and the Lord says, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. And he says, do you have any other sons that you're not showing me right now? And Jesse says, yeah, I got another son, but I mean, he's just a boy, he's just a kid. He's out in the field messing around, he's taking care of the sheep. I didn't bring him out because he's just a, just a boy. That's chapter 16. He's probably there somewhere between 10 and 13, 10 and 15 years old. Chapter later, in chapter 17, all of these brothers of David have gone out to the battlefield. They're a part of Israel's army. David's not a part. He's, just a, he's still just kind of a boy. He's not ready to be in the army yet. And I want you to see in chapter 17, verse 33, his dad sends him to bring provisions out to the battlefield to give to his brothers. So he loads up the food in a sack and he heads out to the battle lines to provide for his brothers. And this is the first time that David sees or hears of this man named Goliath. And when he sees and hears him, he sees him and he hears him mocking, teasing the people of God, his people. And what's worse in David's estimation is he's mocking God. He's making fun of, of his God. And David says, this is not okay. This cannot stand. Somebody needs to do something about it. And he looks at the people of Israel and all of the army, the big bad army, they're all cowering in fear. Even King Saul, he's hiding in his tent. Nobody's going out to deal with this. And so David says, I'll deal with this, okay? And Saul, in verse 33, says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while this one has been a warrior from his youth. And the word that Saul uses to describe David means what it means today. It means he was not yet an adult. He was a teenager. He was probably 13 to 19, probably not 20 years old at this time. So everybody say, David was young. David was young. So Saul, the king of Israel, and his hardened soldiers, his army, are looking out and they're measuring the size of the problem. They've got it all written down. This is how big he was, six cubits in a span with a bunch of metal armor. And David looks out, sees the same thing, but he also looks back at his past track record. Look at verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him. I attacked him. I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul and his army looked out and measured the size of the problem. David did the same, but then David also looked back at his past track record. And when he did, he said, oh, I got this. And he didn't say, oh, I got this because I'm one bad dude and I, I can handle it. There's something else that's in focus here in verse 37. He says, the Lord who delivered me, he will deliver me. Do you see that highlighted? Will you all say that with me? Ready? The Lord who delivered me, he will deliver me. Say it with conviction. Ready? The Lord who delivered me, he will deliver me. That's a good thing to hear, isn't it? 
It's a great thing to hear and be reminded of, even from your own voice, from those surrounding you in this room. The Lord who has delivered me, oh, he will deliver me. And David, he didn't take past credit for his past problems. He didn't say, oh, look, I'm such a bad dude. Don't you see the things that I have done? And he didn't take this problem and put it on his shoulders, on his own. No, David looked at the problem, but he looked at his past. And when he looked back, what he saw was the Lord's faithfulness. What he saw was his relationship with the Lord. He saw what his God could do and what his God had done. And so now as he looks at the problem, he looks through the lens or the perspective of his identity being a child of God. And because David has done this, because he's looked back and he's seen, oh, yes, this is the relationship I have with the Lord, and this is who the Lord has been and who the Lord has been to me and who he will be, continued to be in my life. He sees this problem in a vastly different way and a different, vastly different perspective than Saul and the army see it. He looks out and he sees a very different issue than Saul and his army see. That's because he has a different worldview than Saul and the army. This is worldview stuff. See, nothing that we experience in life, nothing that we face in our life is, is neutral. All of it we look at through some kind of lens or perspective. You get that right? Like n nothing, none of us just wake up and it's like, oh, I have no thoughts or feelings in my mind. Now it's just for the first time ever. We all have these preconceived thoughts that are driving our worldview or shaping our worldview. And Saul and his army have looked out and saw a pro seen a problem in front of them, and that problem has paralyzed them, and that is their worldview. Who can ever do anything about this? That's why they're all cowering in fear. But David, as he looks back, he goes, there's some stuff shaping my worldview here, and I see this differently. And I don't know what each of you are facing today on the 20th or what you'll face over the next week or two, over the next month or two, but there are some things that shape our worldview that should tell us who we are and tell us how we are to face life as it comes at us. And the things that David has done are, they're, they're imitatable things. They're things that are, are things that we could practice in our life that will shape the way we see the problems that come at us in life and will dramatically change our attitude and our walk through this life until the day that Jesus returns for us. And I want you to see the things that David does that we can imitate, that we can duplicate in our life, that you should if you want to have a worldview that is marked by faithfulness in the Lord our God. The first thing that David does as he remembers who he is and who he belongs to. You, you need to remember who you are and whose you are. Consider this. David and Saul and all of the Israelite soldiers, they were all children of God. Not just the people of God, like God is the God of their nation, but if you read the Old Testament, God posed himself as the father over the nation of Israel. And if you read the Bible, the story of the Bible is that God is a good father. He's the best of fathers. He's the best case of father. He's perfect as a father. What does a very good father do? What does the best father do? He's always protecting his children. He's always providing for his children. He's always helping his children, comforting his children. That doesn't mean his children won't go through stuff in life, but it means he'll always be with them and he'll always be teaching them and helping them and, and, and comforting them in all of their days. That's what a, the best father does. And God, as you read the story of the Bible, is the best father. And he was for the nation of Israel. Here's good news for you. John chapter 1, listen to this. But as many as received him, we're fast forwarding to the Gospels. Who's the him here? 
Christ, it's Jesus, right? John 1 tells the story of Jesus. It says, in the beginning was Jesus, and he was with God, and he was God, and all things are made through him and by him. Jesus is God. It says that he is the true light that entered the world. And here it says in John 1, 12, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become, somebody say, children of God, to all who turn to Christ All who turn to him as for Savior and Lord, all who receive him as their king, God gave the right that they would become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What's the secret to facing life and not becoming paralyzed every time trouble enters your life? If you are in Christ, it's remembering who you are in Christ. It's remembering that you're a child of God, that God is your dad, and he's the best of dads who will always provide, always protect, always comfort, always be with you no matter what you face. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has promised to do. Remember, remember what God can do. John 1, 12 is, it's, I mean, it's an amazing verse of promise. It's so full of hope for those of us who cling to Jesus. It is a, a verse that is full of the good news that God isn't just this distant being who maybe, maybe he made the earth and the people. I'm not sure. The jury's still out on the story, but he's somehow made himself distant from us and he's judging us and he's wagging his finger at us and he's just waiting for the day to pour out wrath on us. No, this verse is the proof. It's the story that says, no, no, he has sent his son in love for us. And if we'll turn to him, man, he wants to be your dad. He wants to love you and provide for you and care for you and go with you in all of your days. That's what John 1.12 says. Saul and his army had forgotten that God was their dad. They had forgotten that. And so he looks at Goliath. He measures the problem. And he says, who of us could ever face that? That's the wrong question, isn't it? Who of us could ever face this problem in front of us? And David asks the right question in verse 26. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would taunt the armies of the living God? Saul's over here saying, who could ever come against this? And David's saying, who is this that would ever come against my God? Are you kidding me? We're talking about God or Goliath. Do you think God is afraid of Goliath? Who's bigger? God is not intimidated by this man. He's not intimidated by his size, by his strength, or by his bronze swag. God is not afraid of a man. God has made man. He is, he is God. David says, who is this that would come against my God? Saul forgot. The soldiers forgot. The army forgot. All of them forgot. And David said, I didn't forget. I haven't forgotten who I am and whose I am. I haven't forgotten who my God is, what he has done, what he can do, what he has promised to do, what he's done for me in the past. I will trust in my God. I know that he cares for me. He remembers who and whose he is second thing he does that shapes his worldview is he depends on the care of God. He depends on the care of God. He places his life on the care of God. It's not just theory for him. It's not just a, a, an idea for him. There was a year or so ago, a man came to me after the service, and he said, you're talking about trusting Jesus today. You talked about trusting Jesus. What is this trusting Jesus? Is this like, uh, and he gave me an example, is this like trusting that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States of America? I said, I, some ways, yes, in some ways, no. 
I said, yes, I trust and believe that, that Abraham Lincoln was. I am saying the right, he was the 16th president, right? I didn't check my facts here. It's been a long time. Okay. I said, yes, it's like trusting that, except the difference is it really doesn't matter to me at all. It does, nothing in my life depends on was he the 16th president or not. It's inconsequential to me. Trusting Jesus is one step further. It's not just saying, yes, I believe this thing. And I took one of these chairs here and I turned it around. I said, it's placing the weight of my life, trusting, trusting that this chair will hold my weight. That's trusting Jesus. It's believing that he is who he said he was, and it's also placing my life on him and trusting that he can hold me, that he can carry me. And so David, he's depending on, on God's care for him. His life is laying upon, all of his, the gravity of his life is laying upon the care of God. David says, man, I've been through stuff before. He's delivered me and he'll deliver me again. Man, I went through tough stuff in my life. I look back and go, good grief, how did I ever make it through that? Oh, yeah, God, he carried me through that. He carried me through that because he, he cares for me. And the thing I want you to hear, church, is that you and I don't have the ability to face the tough stuff. We don't have that ability. You, you, you were not made with the ability to face all of life's troubles and problems. In, in fact, you were made in such a way that you could not face all of the problems on your own because you are made human in the image of God, but not God. Do you understand that? What children of God are called to is to hear the Father's voice and to follow the Father's call, to trust that He cares for you, and if He calls you into something, that He will care for you through that thing. That's the, the second thing David does. He remembers who and whose He is. That shapes his worldview, and he lays his life down on God's care for him. Now, I want you to understand Trusting God isn't a promise that no problems will ever happen in your life, that God will remove all of the obstacles of your life. It's not a promise of that. In fact, spoiler alert, David goes and fights Goliath and he beats Goliath. Sorry, um, we'll read it, but I just kind of get ahead of it. Because what I want you to hear is after that great victory, Saul begins to become jealous of David. Because David has this great victory, and after that, he has another victory and another victory, and he continues having victory after victory, and the people of Israel begin saying, we like David better than we like Saul. And Saul begins to get jealous of David, so much so that he puts a hit out on David's life, and David is running for his life, being pursued and chased by Saul, who wants him now dead. He wants him eliminated. So, so trusting God doesn't mean there will not be obstacles, but it does mean that God will be with you in the midst of those. It means that he will meet your needs. It means that he does and he will care for you. It means that God will provide and, and, and for you all of the, the ultimate uh, victories that you need in your life. He will, he will win all the ultimate battles that you have in your life. And I, I need you to hear this because everything in the world uh, right now is saying the exact opposite to you and it has for years and it has forever. Your job is not to succeed. I know that's stunning to hear, right? Your job is not to win every day. Your job is not to be the one who holds all of the power. Your job is not to be the, the party or the majority who makes the decisions and, and directs the course of the world. Your job is not to be the best of the best of the best at Top Gun. That's not your job. That's not what the Lord calls you to. Your job is to respond to God's call in the relationships, in the places, and the situations that he puts you in. Do you hear me there? That's your job. That's my job. 
It's not to be the best of the best of the best. My job is simply to respond to God's call in the relationships and the places and the situations that he puts me in. And he promises this, that when I go where he sends me, that he'll go with me. He'll always go with me. And God is unshakably committed to meeting the needs, to caring for the needs of his people. He really is with you, always. He really is the father that you need. He really is the help that you need. And David knew this. He could confidently place the weight of his life on God's care because he and God had history, didn't they? He, he talks about their history. And I love the song we just sang. The song's been in my head the last two weeks. It, it says, I've seen you move, God. This is like David saying this out in the fields. It's like David saying this as he, in his head as he looks at Saul. Saul's, you can't do this. You're just a youth. He goes, oh, but I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. But I believe I'll see you do it again. David believed this. He could place his life on this because he had experienced God being good in the past in providing and caring for all of David's needs in ways that he could never have imagined. And he believed and he knew he could believe and trust that God would make good on those promises in the future. Listen to Isaiah 41. God says this. He says, do not fear for I am with you, to the people of God. Do not fear, I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my right hand. And David knew it was true. David knew it was true as he looked back at his past. David knew it was true as he faced a problem because he knew the faithfulness of God for sure. He knew God cared for him. He knew God's promises for him. And it was enough for David to know that God was with him. His life was in God's hands. No matter what the outcome may be in this battle, he was good with knowing that his God was with him. Third thing that shapes David's worldview as he faces life is he does what most honors God. Sometimes it's hard to know what is it that most honors God. This is the thing that consumed David's mind. What is it in this moment that most honors God? In this case, it is not logical. It is not rational. It is not reasonable at all. In fact, when Saul finally gives in and says, okay, fine, if you want to try to face this guy, Go ahead, you face this guy. His brothers are laughing in the corner. The other soldiers are taking bets on how quickly he's going to be killed by Goliath. And he says, no, I'm going to do this. And Saul says, okay, fine, let me tell you what you're going to do. And he begins to lay out a, a game plan for David. He says, you're going to wear all of my armor. Go get my armor and bring it out. He says, you're going to carry my sword. It's the best sword that we've got. Of course, it's the king's sword. Get my sword. And David looks at him and says, that's not the way. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. David wouldn't depend on the strategy of, of King Saul, who had been cowering, who was not obedient to God. He wouldn't depend on the voice of one who was, had no problem with God being mocked had no problem with disobeying God's call. He, he, he wouldn't listen to the voice that said, I won't honor God with my actions today and allow that to lead him in how David would act. David put all of his dependence, all of his confidence upon the living God. Verse 47, he says, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And so he would only do what seemed to most honor God in this moment and occasion. And he wouldn't deviate from that. Listen to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, with whom you have taunted. Verse 48. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line. Can you just imagine that for a moment? I've told you, I think there are movie theaters in heaven, and the day that I get to go in and say, oh, put on the reel that one with David and Goliath, it's going to be a great day. And, and you know, you got, you got Goliath kind of sauntering out here, and then David's running at him full blast. I can't wait to watch this. He ran to the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand into his bag, and he took from it a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. It gets more graphic. There's a whole beheading and stuff. You can read that on your own. So some of you are facing emotional giants in your life. You have and you will. Doubt and fear, anxiety. Mental giants like insecurity, stress. We have physical giants because we have these broken bodies that get sick and get hurt. And sometimes they get sick over and over again. And we don't see a way out. We have social giants, relationships that just aren't what they should be, with family members, with marriages, with our kids, with friends, co-workers, things that are just not as they should be. And some of our giants, we know this, it's the giant of temptation to sin. And sometimes there are strongholds in sin that just keep grabbing at us and keep grabbing at us, and we go, I just can't. I can't face this thing. I want you to know this. Jesus said, in this world you have many troubles. He's promised his faithfulness, but he's also promised this. You should take him at his word. You're going to have problems in life. He didn't say a few. He said, in this world you have many troubles, many tribulations. And he concluded that line by saying, but have heart, but have courage. I have overcome the world. I'm with you. I've overcome the world, and I'm with you. And church, we're going to face problems. That's no surprise in 2022. And yet every time one happens, what do we do? We are tempted to fall to pieces. We feel it growing in us and growing on us, and sometimes we become paralyzed with fear, and we don't do the thing. We don't share the good news with the person who needs to hear it. We, we feel that maybe I need to not take the thing that I want because there's a thing that someone needs, but it's just, that's too hard of a sacrifice. We, we see a thing in front of us of some sort, and we go, I just can't. I, I just can't. We've got to face life. We've got to face problems. That's something that we will do to the day that Jesus returns, something that will happen. We have to face it. But we don't have to face it alone. Now, I read the story, and I want you to know I believe, and I think you'd be shocked if I said I didn't believe this, I believe it's a literal story. I I believe it literally happened. I think it's a moment in history. There was a man named David who was anointed to be the future king of Israel. There was a man named Saul who was the king and who was cowering. David came up. He said, I'm going to do this, and in faithfulness to the Lord, and, and to honor the Lord, he stepped up and he faced this giant and the power of the Lord worked, and and Goliath went down. I I believe it's a literal story, a moment in history that happened, but I don't believe it's only that. 
Like a lot of the stories in the Bible, God is telling us something. He's teaching us something from our own stories as humans. And this story isn't simply about a man and a man, but if we zoom up from this story, we begin to see the bigger picture of the Bible. And there is another man who would come and stand between the people, between the people and the enemy who seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy, one who would come and, and would be the greater hero. He would be the greater substitute for us. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the greater David who faces the, the greater Goliath, the Goliath that represents all of the troubles of this world, every one of them that you've ever faced. And Jesus stands before him and he secures for us the greater victory, the ultimate victory for our lives. I love how, how one author uh, wrote this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones. I love this. She said, after David and Goliath's story, many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. Think about this, how Jesus came from obscurity, nearly from Bethlehem as David did, mocked by his brothers, was not what anyone expected, was laughed at, was told, you can't be who you say you are, <laughs> you can't do this thing. Yet this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. And he wins. I've overcome the world. If you stand back from this story, David and Goliath, you find Jesus is the better David. He's the better substitution. He's the better victor, the better hero who provides more for us than David could even have provided for his people then. And we can learn from David. We should learn from David. The things that shaped his worldview can shape our worldview so that we face life in a new and a different way. But if you want to find yourself in this story, look at verse 50. I think this is who we are in this story. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and he killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Here's verse 52. The men of Israel and Judah arose and they shouted and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron. Understand, church, we're not only meant to be recipients of that substitutionary man who goes out in the center and defeats the enemy for us. We don't only just receive what he has done for us in the center, but like the men of Israel and Judah, now we rise up and we take off after all of those who would seek to steal, kill, and destroy the spiritual enemy of our lives and of this world, Satan, and anything that he seeks to do to steal, kill, and destroy the good things that God wants in the world. Remember this, Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you remember this? 6.11 says, it is the schemes of the devil that is at the, the underworking, the underbelly of every brokenness in this life. He loves that stuff. And as the people of God, as the children of God, because our hero has won the battle for us, we rise with him and we run to seek to bring life and joy and justice to all corners of the earth. That's who we are in this story. And I wish I could tell you that in every way, in every moment of every day, I live out of my identity in Christ. That every day I measure the problem and I look at the past and I go, all right, I know how to handle this thing. But the fact is I don't. And there are plenty of days and moments where I'm weak and where I am timid, and where I am overwhelmed, and where I am distracted. And there are days where I go, I just can't. But then there are days when I see what's ahead of me, and I look back, and I go, oh, God, I've seen you move. You moved the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. 
And it changes my entire outlook on everything I'm facing in that day. It changes the questions I ask rather than like Saul saying, how could I ever deal with that? I begin asking questions like David and saying, how could that ever come against my God? (laughs) My God lives. I take courage. He's overcome the world. And it leads me more and more to know how to do what most honors God in my days. How do we do that? Not because I'm strong, not because I'm smart. We do that because we place our focus on the Lord's faithfulness. We, we remember who and whose I am. We depend on his care for us. And we do the thing that most honors God. And we go to sleep at night. <laughs> Get up the next day and go again. And take a, a few moments and together in this room, just take a couple of moments to center our minds on, on some of the giants that we may be facing. And I want to keep these three things on the screen And as you do that, maybe take a moment and ask the Lord where you stand with him. Remember who and whose you are. For those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, to those who have been given the right to become the children of God, is that you today? If so, ask the Holy Spirit would embolden you and strengthen your mind and your heart with that truth. Where we have become flappable in our dependence upon the Lord, where we have had a lack of trust that he is with me and that he cares for me. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to trust he is with you. Jesus said he would be your helper and help you in all things. And for whatever you're facing, some of us, we just go, I don't know what to do. Just ask the Lord to help us to know what most honors him in our days. Take a moment where you are and consider this, and then I'll close our time of prayer. your church for the burdens that we carry I pray that we would carry them only as you've directed and guided called us to that we wouldn't like Saul and the Israelite army attempt to bear a burden alone without your grace without your help without your hand upon our lives for those here who are not yet Christians who, who have not placed the weight of their life on the saving work of Jesus. Pray that their desire would be no longer to attempt to live life on their own, to carry the burden, to face life on their own. But even today, they would come to dependence upon your care, seen in your son. for the Christian brother or sister who feels buried beneath life. One, I do pray that we would bear one another's burdens together as you've called us to, but two, I pray that your faithfulness in the past would drive them with confidence and courage into the future. The same Jesus who you said of yourself gentle and lowly of heart. It's the same Jesus who said, he said, I've overcome the world. You struck down the enemy. You defeated death. So we place our trust in you. And Spirit, we need your help with that. It's that old nature in us and 
all of the noise from around us says, oh, no, 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 you got this. You just got to be bigger, badder, stronger. You got to win. Oh, no. Help us to lay our burdens down. At your feet. And to walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.